Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. If you're listening to this program for the first time and uh, you find it interesting and you're wondering why your local community radio station doesn't uh, broadcast the Anarchist World this week, Knock on the door, see the station manager. If you're a member of the Community Radio Network, it's relatively easy to broadcast the Anarchist World this week. Either you can do it live or you can do it later on. So give them a call, knock on their door, and uh, this is the way we'll get uh, these ideas across. If you're wondering what anarchy is all about, an anarchist society is a voluntary non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. That's direct democracy. It's a society where wealth is held in common and use for the common good. And it comes from the concept of anarchos, without rulers. So how do you create it without rulers? You devolve power, you share wealth. Very simple. Inequalities in power and wealth is what gives rulers the power to impose their will on people. Okay, let's move on. So it's very simple. Let's start off with the census. Now, I'm going to approach this as we normally do in the anarchist world this week. From a different direction, you know, everybody seems to be buying the same story. Now, unlike maybe some of our listeners, the census can be very important. And it is important because it provides a snapshot of what's happening in this country. And a poorly run and a poorly managed census is a total waste of time. Not only is it a total waste of time, but it also reinforces marginalisation, pauperisation. What's he talking about? What's this idiot talking about? Well, local governments, state governments, Commonwealth governments allocate resources to a significant degree on the basis of census results. It's very simple. Now, if you are involved in a process which people find offensive in terms of collecting data which is needed in order to allocate resources fairly in the country, 
then what you will find is people who are in most need, those who rely on government-funded services, whether at the local, state or federal level, are those who will miss out, who will not be counted. And those who rely on what's in their pocket to access services doesn't really affect them. So poor data collection has significant impact on people who are marginalised, the 33% of Australians on Social Security benefits, the working poor, 15 to 20% of Australians on you know, who are wage earners who can't actually meet their everyday commitments through their wages because of uh, part-time work. Many people on uh, fixed low incomes. These are the people who lose out from a poorly run, poorly managed census. And there is nothing more poorly run and more poorly managed than this census. And to a significant degree, this is due to the fact that we had a double disillusioned election and most people didn't even know the Senate's census was occurring until about a week ago. And the debate which needs to be held before each census, which explains to people the importance of the census, was not held. And the elements which have been added to the census, which are causing so much consternation and angst among a significant proportion of people, the fact that people need to put their names and addresses on this material, and the fact that the Australian Bureau of Statistics somehow believes that every Australian has access to the net, or every Australian wants to use the net to give their information to the Australian Bureau of Census, again, has had a significant impact on participation. Significant impact on participation. And those people who tend not to participate are those who would benefit most from the collection of good data. So this is a total disaster which I place squarely on the head of the Turnbull-led government. If Turnbull hadn't called a double dissolution election when he did for what he believed would be you know, his crowning moment, his crowning moment of glory, there would have been enough time to debate the issues regarding the censors which are causing so much consternation about just so many people, where their data is actually, their data is cross-referenced with their name and address. Because if the whole purpose of the census is to collect material so that governments can allocate funds to those who are in most need of those funds and most need of those services, then obviously changes can be made to the way that data is collected if people are unhappy with the mechanism by which the data is collected. And what fools said to themselves, oh, you know, oh, oh, we'll just do it all online, it'll be cheap, they'll just log on. You know, as we saw on Tuesday... Total disaster. Total disaster. The system had to shut down because security was breached. This is what people had been talking about. So the big losers, the big losers in the fact that this census has been a total schmozzle, as I said before, those 33% of Australians on social security benefits, those 15% of Australians who are who are wage earners, who are the working poor, who rely on government services, minority groups, the homeless, indigenous people, immigrants, refugees, and the list goes on and on.
So it is totally unacceptable. And the whole process needs to be re-looked at and the census needs to be re-held in six months after significant debate in the community and in Parliament to ensure that the more odious elements are removed and then you will find, and, and, and if you explain to people the need for this type of information, then maybe, maybe there'll be more people who'll participate because you cannot, you cannot intimidate people by saying you're going to be fined $180 a day because if you don't have the personnel or the staff to even conduct a proper census, you're not going to swamp the courts with tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who are finding it uh, difficult or offensive or are concerned about their data. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia and the Community Radio Network. Now, a few little things. Again, if you live in the city of Melbourne, the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair is on this Sunday, the 14th of August. The venue has changed. The venue is now the Brunswick Town Hall at 230. Three, I think, or 232 Sydney Road. You can't miss it uh, in uh, Brunswick. Uh, there are there will be stalls, there will be discussions. Discussions will be held around the Brunswick Town Hall also, uh, across the road in the Mechanics Institute. And obviously there will be a lot of interesting people there. And it's from 9am to 5pm, uh, free entry. People are welcome to come along and uh, look at the stalls, talk to the stallholders, become involved in the discussions and be part of the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair. On the same day, between 1 and 3 p.m., the West Papua Independence uh, Office Rent Collective and uh, supporters of the West Papua Independence will be holding a gathering at 1 p.m. Uh, at the uh, downstairs at the offices at 838 Collins Street in Docklands. That's 838 Collins Street in Docklands. You're all welcome to attend. And uh, the office is now in its third year. The rent is paid by the West Papua Rent Collective. It allows uh, the West Papua Independence Movement to conduct activities not just locally uh, and nationally but internationally to promote the cause of West Papua Independence. It is an important organ of the West Papua Independence Movement. And uh, if you'd like to join the Rent Collective, it's very simple. Just give us a ring on 0439 395 489 or email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com or write to me at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. We'll send you out the necessary material. You can donate anonymously. It's $30 a month, $360 a year. It's very simple, uh, non-bureaucratic. The decisions are left in your hand. Nobody's going to ring you up and say you've missed a payment. We understand that people have... uh, uh, issues in minute. Most of the people that are part of the rent collective are not rich people. Many are pensioners, people who are putting aside a dollar a day in order to support the, uh, some of the most um, oppressed people on the planet, the West Parkland uh, people who have lost over 500,000 people in that struggle from a population of less than 2.5 million in the, since, uh, 19, since the 1960s. So uh, welcome along as we have f- uh, beautiful lunch has been prepared free lunch, uh, bring along some food yourself and uh, some drinks if you can. I mean, add them to the collective table. So it's 838 Collins Street, 
Docklands. The office is upstairs in level two, but the gathering's held at the at the back in the big meeting room. Uh, that's where uh, lunch is held, and then we have a meeting. and 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 uh, there will be the West Parliament activists will explain what their plans are for the next uh, twelve months. So, as I said before, if you want to be part of this uh, exciting uh, independence movement, uh, come along, try before you buy, and then join the West Parliament uh, Rent Collective. Okay, let's move on. Now, last week I spoke about the composition of the Senate, and I'd like to look at this again because now finally, finally, we know exactly the composition of the Senate. And as I said before, I think a lot of people don't really understand how this was an election which was dominated by the authoritarian right, which was dominated by people whose main political agenda is to engender fear about the other. And this was a total wipeout for the left. Total wipeout. And I include myself in this. I mean, I was involved in a campaign in the electorate of Dunkley, a Liberal-held electorate, which returned a Liberal member uh, in the uh, south of um, Melbourne. I mean, I picked up 1.3% of the vote... This is a House Representative electorate on the slogan, make the 1% pay 1%. So the great winners in this election cycle were the corporate sector. They were not held up to public scrutiny. They escaped Scott 3. And the composition of the Parliament will ensure that we will continue to see the corporate sector grow fat on the pain and suffering of a majority of Australians. Because as the revenue stream dries up, because the corporate sector pays voluntary taxation, what we see... And what we will see is that more and more pressure will be placed on those least able to afford it to make up the financial shortfalls which exist in this country because the, volu- because the corporate sector pays voluntary taxation. And there was nothing really apart from a few, you know, uh, Don Quixote's like myself in the election that actually raised this as the primary issue of this election campaign, of the past election campaign, the primary issue, the number one issue in this country. Now, the disastrous flirtation of the Greens with the Liberal National Party resulted in them losing one senator and maintaining the status quo in the House of Representatives. And I think it's time the Greens actually looked at their uh, strategy to support Liberal National Party in changing the voting system in the Senate and then demand nothing in return, like uh, preferences in inner city seat which were winnable, is a tactical disaster. Tactical disaster. And the sooner the leadership of the uh, Greens is replaced, the sooner we may be in a position to have some uh, people 
who can actually um, fight. Because, as I said before, this is an interesting Senate. There are 30 Liberal National Party senators. Remember, there are 76 senators in the, um, in the Senate. Sorry, yeah, 76. Six from each state, that's 72. Two from the Australian Capital Territory, two from Northern Territory. And as there was a double dissolution election, every senator came up for a re-election. So the new Senate, there are 30 Liberal National Party senators, 26 Labor Party senators, nine Green senators, four One Nation senators, three Xenophon Party or Xenophon Team senators, one senator from Family First, one senator from the Liberal Democrats, uh, and uh, one senator from the Jackie Lambie Party from Tasmania. Now, when you look at the composition of the the eleven cross benches, about the only one you could say has any real feeling about the electorate is not there an ideological binge. It would be Jackie Lambie from the uh, Jackie Lambie Party from Tasmania. Because when you look at the other ten senators, you've got one nation, four one nation senators. Oh, and I forgot Mr. Darren Hinch from the Justice Party. My apologies. You've got um, four One Nation senators who think it's all about the other. If we get rid of the other, then we don't have any problems in this in this country. You've got the three Xenophon senators, which basically is a split off from the Liberal Party. Well, we know about the Liberal Democrats and uh, Family First, and uh, obviously Darren's got his own personal picadillos there in the Senate. So I can see that although the Turnbull-led government enjoys a one-seat majority in the House of Representatives, I can see that that they will be able to get most of the legislative agenda through the Senate, although Xenophon is positioning himself and his uh, other two members as the team that will make the final decision in the Senate because it's quite likely that the One Nation Senators, uh, the uh, Liberal Democrats, uh, Darren Hinch Justice Party and the um, and the uh, Family First, uh, Mr Day, Senators will side with the government. If the government get nine of the left... 11 crossbenchers on side, it will pass its legislative agenda, and I expect it will pass its legislative agenda. As I said before, if you do, if you are interested in putting public interest before corporate interest, if you're interested in joining a social movement and political party, which is all about putting public interest before corporate interests, I suggest very strongly that you go to the PIBCI website, that's the P-I-B-C-I dot net. Go to the Facebook page, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, and if you want to become a member, download the application form from info at pibci.net. You can ring me for an application form on 0439 395 489. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 for a whole heap of application forms to sign up your friends. We are in the process of uh, becoming registered as a political party. I think it will take about another six months. 
before it's all finalised. There's a lot of uh, hurdles to climb, a lot of hills to climb, up and down, up and down. It's a little bit like trying to climb the uh, Himalayas, trying to uh, register a new political party, but we will be registered with your support. We'll be re- so if you're kind of despairing, you're wondering what to do next, you think that direct action really hasn't paid dividends, but you don't really believe in parliamentary politics, but you would like to have some type of impact, well, or even if you do believe in parliamentary politics, public interest before corporate interest the organisation you need, to, you need to look at and join. We welcome members who are on the electoral roll and members who are not on the electoral roll. We welcome residents as well as citizens. And it's a political party, but it's open to people of all religious beliefs and those who have no religious beliefs. We welcome people of all races, nationalities, genders and sexual orientation. We believe all human beings are born with inalienable rights and liberties no government can legislate away or corporations take away. So if you've been thinking about it, now's the time. Now's the time we need that support. Give us a ring. Now, if you can help us financially, we're always looking for donations. Give us a ring, 0439 395 489 04. But we're urgently in need of $1 stamps so we can communicate to our many members who are not on the internet. Unlike the Census Bureau, we uh, do take our members who are not on the, on the, on the net seriously and we try to communicate with them. But at a dollar a pop, it's becoming increasingly expensive. So if you can send us $1 stamps whether it's 10, 20, 100 or 5,000, we don't care. You can send us $1 stamps to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. We'd be welcome. And if you can help us, say, maintain our office and help us pay the rent on the office, which is a very nominal $80 a week, we need about 30 people who are willing to donate $10 a month um, to uh, help us uh, with the rent. We are in a bit of a, a dilemma currently regarding our rent arrears. Give us a ring, 0439 395 or email me at info at Now, next week I'll be talking about the uh, Frankston branch is uh, back in the fray, and I think they'll be back in the fray on the 18th, so I'll be... Uh, making some comments about that. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Scan. I'm hosting today's program. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can email me at anarchistmedia.org or you can email me at info at pibci.net. Now, those of you who are wondering what's happening to the Tundaminaway Moorball Hina commemoration, uh, the, uh, the monument, uh, the building has started. Hopefully it'll be finished by September in three to four weeks. I'm hoping next week to have the date and time for the official opening. We are negotiating for a weekend opening, preferably a Sunday opening, to give people the opportunity to come along to the opening, especially our many listeners uh, around Australia. I mean, this is an important uh, event. 
This will be the first significant monument of the frontier wars which has been built in this country in the CBD of a major city. This is a significant event because if you can't acknowledge the past, there is no way we can move towards reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Now, the Tanaminiwe and Moorbore Hina Commemoration Committee, it's been, it's been a long struggle since 2004. Those of you who listen to this program will have heard all about it, but Tanaminiwe and Moorbore Hina were two Aboriginal people from Van Diemen's Land who were executed in Melbourne on the 20th of January 1842 for being involved in a resistance struggle across the Mornington Peninsula and uh, the environments, uh, the southern suburbs of uh, you know what is Melbourne today. So uh, this is an important event, and we'll keep you up to date with uh, what's happening. Hopefully, it'll all be uh, finalised today. If not, we wait. We've been waiting since 2014. We can wait another month or so. But as I said before, this is a, an important event, which will help to promote which will help to promote um, reconciliation okay let's move on now the hidden news now a little piece of news you may find interesting at this year's election 9% that's 1 in 11 of people 1.47 million Australians didn't bother to cast a ballot. This is the highest rate of non-participation since the 1922 federal election when 59% of people cast a ballot, but in 1922 voting was not compulsory. Now those of you who have listened to this program for many, many years have understood that parliamentary democracy has limitations. And these limitations are far more dangerous in Australia than many others parliamentary democracy because in Australia we do not have an individual right to vote. At best, and I found this out after appearing in court eight times over the past 18 months on a charge of failure to vote and uh, you know, losing the case but not getting any conviction or fine or bond or court costs awarded against me. But after eight appearances in court it was quite the decision the decision basically was that we have a generic limited implied right to vote which is determined by parliament so parliament giveth and parliament taketh away as i said before parliament could stop redheads from voting and then you'd have to have a high court challenge to see whether it's constitutional or not. So it is a real issue. And the real issue is parliamentary democracy has not kept up with developments. 
It is a 19th century concept. The fact that you go to a ballot box every three to four years and vote a representative in to make decisions for you for the next three to four years, who can do it and vote any way they like, irrespective of you know the, any directions you may have given them, highlights why there is increasing disillusionment with the parliamentary process. And in this increasing disillusionment, and this is a weird thing for an anarchist to say, but this increasing disillusionment with the parliamentary process eats at the institutional pillars of this society. And when you have 1.47 million Australians of 15 points, I think 4 million on the electoral roll, and there are many more who are entitled to vote, another 5 to 10%, who are not on the electoral roll, who refuse to vote, and you can't say a 9% refusal to vote is insignificant, who refuse to vote highlights that we have real issues that are eating away at the very cornerstone of the institutional framework of this country real issues, and we are seeing the breakdown of social order in many ways. And to a large degree, this disillusionment, this inability or unwillingness to participate is directly directly laid at the door of the corporate sector. Over the last 40 years during the... deregulation, privatisation, globalisation and corporatised revolution that has not only swept Australia but most of the world. We have seen unaccountable corporations whose major responsibility is to make ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders usurp the power of parliament. And whether it's Mr Trump's run in the United States of America or Bernie Sanders' failed run to become the, the uh, Democratic nominee, or whether it's the one-nation vote in Australia, or whether it's the 9% of people who refused to vote because they're disillusioned with the system, then you got a problem. And the reason I went to court eight times was very simple. Because my belief was that if I could show that compulsory voting was unconstitutional, which I failed to do, but if I could, and optional voting was introduced, so few people would actually participate in the the parliamentary process that the government of the day would be forced to make legislation, legislative changes, things like citizens-initiated referendums, Things like the power of recall of non-performing politicians in between elections. And the list goes on and on. Things like direct democracy, where you actually get rid of parliament and replace it with a federation of community and workplace councils which are based on direct democratic principles, where the people make decisions, elect or appoint delegates to coordinate those decisions at a local, regional and national level. Because everywhere we look, we are seeing the push for the strong leader, the authoritarian leader, 
to solve the world's problems. Because as social cohesion breaks down, the call for law and order solutions becomes more and more shrill and legislation is passed that actually (coughs) removes what free right and liberties we are able to exercise. Now, I understand that um, a gentleman is facing court in Melbourne on terrorist-related charges, and obviously I'm not going to talk about that case. And he's been described as a political extremist. And it'll be interesting to see the type of charges which will be levelled at him. Because I've been quite concerned for some time regarding anti-terrorist laws. And because somebody's got a diametrically different political position than I have has been charged is no cause for celebration. Because what we need to understand is that these laws can be used to try to subjugate any political movement. And this definition of terrorism is is quite broad. Very broad. And under the current legislation, it's quite possible that anybody who's uh, agitating or campaigning to uh, use graffiti as a political weapon could be charged under these laws. And it'll be interesting to see what type of evidence is brought up in court over the next few months regarding this particular case. Because the laws are so broad, you could actually draw anybody into court on many of these charges because we are moving from a period where people are actually able to articulate political ideas to people being marginalised and next, you know, marginalised and put beyond the pale because they are described as political extremists. What is political extremism? Is it political extremism to have political parties which support the status quo? Is it political extremism to have political parties which were responsible in the invasion of Iraq and the death of a million people on so-called wrong, info- on wrong information and continue to you know, justify their position? I mean, what is political extremism? Is it political extremism to have legislation in Parliament that puts major corporations beyond the law, especially the taxation laws in this country? Is that political extremism? Or is political extremism people using direct action to promote uh, particular causes because they're in no position to use the, 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 use the current parliamentary processes to promote their ideas? Let's be very careful because a law is a law is a law is a law is a law. Most laws, not all, but most laws are not designed to be specific. They're general. 
the type of law that can be used to um, charge your political enemy with terrorist charges is exactly the same type of law that could be used for you because the definition of what terrorism is, the definition of what the plan is, all very nebulous, very nebulous. Think about it. Think about it because it can affect each and every one of us. All those people who think, oh, well, if I put my name and address on the census and I put on a certain religious belief, maybe in 50 years' time or 12 years' time when the political climate changes, all I've got to do is press a button and, hey, 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 bingo, there's all that information. We take those people away. I mean, there are political precedents for this type of thing. So think about it because ultimately, ultimately, What's the point of passing legislation to remove rights and liberties, to protect our rights and liberties? Because the only protection of rights and liberties that exists under the Australian Constitution is obviously the protection of the corporate sector to do what they like in this country. Their behaviour is totally legal. I mean, these people don't need to do anything illegal. They legally don't pay tax. They legally screw their employees. And the list goes on and on. I'd like to talk about the new economy, the disruptive economy. Is it new or is it old? Now, we've seen the um, rise and rise and rise and rise of the new economy through technological innovation, things like Uber and Deliveroo and the list goes on and on. So uh, is this something new? Is the new economy something new? Or is it something old and rotting and fetid and disgusting? Think about it. The new economy is based on the principle of employing people as contractors. You like that word? Contractors. So they don't have to pay them a basic wage. They don't have to worry about work cover. They don't have to worry about health benefits. They don't have to worry about severance pay, overtime pay, sickness benefits, accident benefits, and the list goes on and on. I mean, the new economy is nothing more than the 18th century idea that the employer had no responsibility to the employee and was basically a wage slave. This is not a new economy. This is going back two or three centuries. And to allow this type of garbage, this type of disruption to be legislated for means that governments absolve themselves of the responsibility of protecting their citizens from exploitation. This is not the new economy. This is an old economy dressed up as a new economy. It works on wage slavery. So sham contracting. You make people sham contractors. You pay them a pittance. You don't owe them anything if they're injured at work and they're not covered by their own insurance, which they can't obviously afford, it's their problem. 
And every time I see an Uber driver or a Deliveroo driver or any other part of this new economy, I think to myself, there goes a poorly paid, exploited worker who is doing this type of work because they cannot secure a job in the so-called real economy, inverted commas. Listen to the Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Let's move on. Let's move on. Interesting, isn't it? That we live in a world where growth is the mantra. It's all about growth. You need to have growth in order to maximise profits for shareholders. Commonwealth Bank makes a $9 billion profit. The shareholders receive a $4.22 dividend, which is franked, which means it's uh, tax three for them because the corporation has already paid tax. You know, this is the new economy. You cut interest rates and it's not, it doesn't flow through to customers. It doesn't flow, flow through to business customers, mortgage holders. It flows through to uh, shareholders. It's quite extraordinary, isn't it? You get to a situation where uh, interest rates are so low, governments use qualitative easing to try to resolve their financial issues. What that means, it's very simple. You put, say, three, four, five, six, fifty billion dollars back into the economy, but you don't give this money to individuals, you give this money directly to the major banks who then lend out this money at exorbitant rates. People are paying 15 to 20%, 25% on credit cards, and it's called, you know, uh, business, when interest rates are currently 1.5% officially. And then they have to try to get in money through bonds, this is the government, in order to cover that outlay and in many cases they don't even bother or can't get the bonds to cover the outlay. So why should this money which is created out of thin air by qualitative easing be given directly to the large financial institutions who pay voluntary taxation who exploit their customers and the rest of the country? Why should they receive the money? I mean, there are other ways you can actually resolve many of the issues that we face regarding underemployment, you know, full employment, unemployment, other ways through qualitative easing. Want to have a pool of resources through qualitative easing and those resources can be used to bankroll cooperatives and collectives and set up a third tier in the economy in this country. I mean, because we only got two tiers of the economy. You're either privately employed or you're employed by the state. And as state employees become fewer and fewer and services become fewer and fewer and they're subcontracted out to the private sector, we find most people are employed by private employers. 
Why shouldn't there be a third tier? I mean, nobody gets rich being in a cooperative or collective, but at least you can actually learn skills, you can provide services, you can produce goods at a local level and a regional level and even a national level. I mean, there are examples around the world, but the problem is getting funding to set up cooperatives and collectives. So why not, when qualitative easing becomes the government's mantra or the Reserve Bank's mantra in the next 12 to 18 months, when they find they can't stimulate the economy by cutting interest rates because they're so low, instead of giving it to the privately owned banks, put it in a government, a new government-owned bank, which is government guarantee, and lend that money to people, not just people who are involved in small business, but people who want to create cooperatives and collectives in order to soak up the unemployment numbers, in order to ensure that everybody has the ability to actually learn skills, become productive, become part part, part of society. I mean, you need to think outside the box. And that's a dilemma. We think inside the box. We see the box, we think no world exists beyond that box. And every day, the windows that exist in that box are painted over by the corporate-dominated media, the corporate-owned media and the government guild at ABC. Paint, 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 paint. So people don't even think about alternatives, let alone struggle towards creating alternatives. Think about it. There are alternatives. There are different ways of approaching things. Human history is littered with examples of alternatives. Some fail, some succeed. Littered. I mean, the economic system we have today, which is based on growth for growth's sake, which is based on the manufacture of artificial human needs in order to maximise profits, irrespective of the human social environmental consequences, is not necessarily the only economic system in the world. You can have an economic system which isn't based on growth. We may see that those who've done well out of an economic system based on growth will go bankrupt and will wither away and will disappear from the economic framework. But in its place, you will see the growth of a myriad of industries. For example, forests. You've got a big tree. And under that tree, you find there's a limited number of species because there's not enough sunlight streaming down to the forest floor. When that tree dies, within 6 to 12 months, there's a whole new series of growth because of the direct access to sunlight. It's the same analogy with the economic system we have today. We have an economic system which is dominated by corporations, which is based on the concept of you know exponential growth, whose only responsibility is to make ever-increasing profits for their major shareholders, irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs. That does not mean the needs of people are somehow different. 
Now, if that corporation folds, goes bankrupt, disappears, people still have needs. But in that space, we'll grow alternatives. And those alternatives will grow, especially, especially if you use things like qualitative easing to produce funds which can be used to bankroll alternative methods of alternative economies which are not necessarily based on growth, which are based on the satisfaction of real, not manufactured human needs. Because if we continue on this tangent... The best way, to, you know, the best way for survival would be to get a, maybe a spaceship to, Mar- to Mars because it is totally unsustainable. Now, those of you who are, you know, struck by the Olympics, love the Olympics, get your fill in the early hours of the morning. Think of the Olympics; they're held in Brazil. Brazil has a problem. It's not crime. Obviously, inequality is a problem. Social cohesion is a problem. But the major problem is the fact that their forests, which are the lungs which of this earth, are being cut down at unprecedented rates to grow cows so we can have burgers. You know, unprecedented rates. Totally unsustainable. Every year, we see in Indonesia and Malaysia the destruction of massive forests so you can grow palm oil. Totally unsustainable. And as a consequence, we have increasing greenhouse emissions and global warming and changes, radical changes to the climate, which are beginning to have an impact on individuals and communities and which will continue to have an impact. But again, This is based on the idea of this economic system which is based on growth for growth's sake. It doesn't matter what you do to the environment of other people. As long as you can make a buck, it's okay. You can exploit people's labour. You can make them contractors, bodgy contractors, so that they're responsible for their own taxation, they're responsible for their own sickness pay, they're responsible for everything, and you pay them a pittance. $3 an hour, $4 an hour. And it doesn't really matter, does it? Because they're disposable. Disposable human beings. They become disposable human beings. We go back to the 19th century and all the gains of the various revolutions and the social reform movements and the political movements which existed and grew around the world to move away from an economic system which was based on the exploitation of the individual to an economic system where collective bargaining was allowed to allow the individual and the community to benefit from their labour disappears. And we call this the new economy and we provide funny money for the banks to lend out to the same corporations of a speculative, you know, housing, to create speculative housing bubbles, which mean that fewer and fewer Australians are in the position of actually owning their own home, let alone having enough money for, you know, to rent. 
just extraordinary. And we and we accept it. We accept it every day. Every day we accept it. Every day. That's the dilemma we face. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Now look up. Uh, those of you who are interested, I run another program on Community Radio 3CR, which is actually a, which is called Radical Australia, and I am looking for interesting people to interview. Interesting people to interview. You can be young, you can be old, you can be indifferent, you can be upside down, sideways up. It doesn't matter. So I'm looking for people to interview. It's a one-hour interview held on a Wednesday afternoon between 4 and 5 p.m., a live interview, and it's all about you. So if you think you have something to say, Give us a ring, 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. Uh, write to me at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052 or email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com. If what we've spoken about today has somehow resonated with you, don't just sit there and wait for the next program. Don't just sit there. Get up out of your chair. Walk outside. Think about what you can do to change things. You don't have to be a you know, wild-eyed revolutionary. Even people involved in the simple act of holding a, ba- a banner or a placard out of a bank saying, blood-sucking parasites, you'd be amazed how many people come and talk to you about the situation. Because we now believe that individual action is useless and even collective action is useless. And that's what they want us to believe. Action stems from the individual making the decision to take that action and carry out that action. We do have, still have a little bit of political space, a little bit of freedom in this country And so you need to exercise that freedom to keep it. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20 Parkville 3052. Don't forget the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, Sunday, 14th of August, 9am to 5pm, Brunswick Town Hall, Sydney Road, Brunswick 233. Don't forget the uh, West Papuan Rent collective uh, supporters do uh, this Sunday the 14th of August at 1pm at 838 Collins Street Docklands you're welcome to both events thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station listen in to the Anarchist World this week on community radio station um, on your community radio station via the community radio network this program is podcast go to 3cr.org dot au 3cr.org.au listen to the anarchist world this week on your local community radio station next week that's it off we go evil minds that plot destruction sorcerer of death construction an analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10 a.m. every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning the 
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs>